I'm Aaron. I'm Paul. This is Wayne. And um, we've we've lost two of our crew. Dude, I, I think we've trimmed down. Got rid of some <laughs> of the fat. We're the leaner, meaner crew. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, we scared Tim off a little bit with our, our subject of conversation this week, which we'll, we'll get into later. We're going to talk about girls and their down there area. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, Andrew's back in uh, soccer duty land. Now, Paul, I, I want to talk about Andrew for a moment. Yes, sir. Because the first we heard that uh, Andrew was not going to be on the show today was, in fact, today. In fact, just a few hours ago, Andrew sent a note and said, oh, you know, I forgot. I've got this thing. Yada, yada, I can't be there. Now, this is behavior that I would not accept from my employees, mm-hmm. and I'll be goddamned if I'll accept it from Andrew. I think you need to have a sit down with him. Yeah, I think we got to write this son of a bitch up. Yeah, exactly. So it, you know, if you put as much care into this podcast as you put into your son, this would be a special podcast. Yeah. Now, Aaron, are you sure you want to do that now? Because we're only a couple of weeks away from Fear the Con, and Andrew buys us stuff. Mm, fair point. Fair point. Um, mm. Mm. And he does take me out for coffee. We, we should what? wait till after the con to reprimand him. Maybe, maybe that's something that we do in slot six. <laughs> after he's given us stuff. <laughs> Okay, I, I, that's fair point, Wayne. I'm on it. Hey, speaking of Fear the Con, Aaron, are you playing in that Atomic Robo game that Andrew's running? I am. Yeah, wait till slot six. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm on that. Okay, so we're decided. Andrew has a free pass until we get what we want out of him. Yeah, until, until, until slot six. In fact, I'll go ahead and put that on the Fear the Con schedule so other people can sign up for it. <laughs> Scolding Andrew. Scolding Andrew. You know, I'll have some uh, some alternate seats available. <laughs> Aaron will pass out uh, the initiative, and whoever gets the highest card gets to scold first. That's right. That's right. I, I like it. I think everyone wants to participate. We should put this on the stage. I like it. <laughs> With mics. Yeah. 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 That's good. That's good. So uh, possibly another good time was when Wayne went to Anime St. Louis. Yep, we'll be going uh, today as soon as we're done recording here. Oh, I thought you'd already been. I'm sorry. I, I, no, it's, no, I was there last night, too. Okay, so what happened last night? So I have two stories from Anime St. Louis. Uh, the first one is, while we were there, my wife decided she wanted to try the Maid Cafe. Hmm. So this is a room that's set up where they're serving like uh, teas and hot chocolates and just a little bit of food. But all the waitresses are dressed as maids. And then occasionally they'll all go to the center of the room, play music, and dance choreographed dances. So, is this an anime thing? This is an anime thing. Okay. This is a kind of Japan is freaky and has all of these weird fetishes. Uh huh. So, this is supposed to be sexy. Oh, so what you're saying is that Japan is a nation of perverts. Got it. Pretty much. (laughs) So, well, so one of the things they're doing is that the tables, each table is dedicated to an individual maid and that is her table that she has her stuff on to indicate her personality she has games and you can play games with them and uh if you beat them a assigned a number of times at their game then you get prizes hey wayne can i interrupt you a second here yeah what are they wearing maid costumes like sexy maid costumes like you know uh, revealing a little bit of their of their backside, a lot of leg, that kind of thing, like French maid costumes. Some of them are, yes. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Uh, our maid had a uh, had like cat ears on as well. 
You know, hmm. I would probably be more inclined to hire a maid if she had the cat ears going on. I would say so, too. Yeah. So Fear the Con, I'm assuming, has a maid room. <laughs> no. <laughs> <laughs> so I play uh, I play two games of Jenga, because Jenga is the game of choice of this maid. I play two games with her, and uh, I win both of them, but they're the hardest games of Jenga I've ever played. She's really good. And while we're talking to her, I uh, I ask if she did this last year, because this is the second year they've done the Maid Cafe. And she's like, no, I was too young to do it last year. <laughs> do the math to my head. The, uh, the minimum age is 17. So last year she was 16. So she's 17. Yeah. Perfect. You're a horrible person. <laughs> but it was my wife that wanted to go in there. I'm just uh, saying. The champagne room. Yeah, yeah. yeah that's right. That's right. Wayne got a lap dance from the 17 year old girl. <laughs> so, my second story is. Didn't I'm deny a, it. Did not deny it. Move along, Wayne. <laughs> my second story is that at one of the booths they had. Do you guys know what a domo is? Yes. Yes. Okay. So, they have DC Comics domos. Yes. These are domos that are dressed up as, you know, superheroes. There's uh, looking at the back of the box, it's like, wow. So there's two different Batman ones that look pretty cool. There's three Superman ones. Two, one is like a New 52 costume. One is a pre-New 52. And one is a Clark Kent. Uh, there's a Robin. There's Flash. There's Green Lantern. So I'm looking through all of these. And it's one of those things where it's a blind buy. So you don't know which Domo is, with, is in the box. So I'm glancing there. I was like, well, I kind of like most of these. The only two that I really don't like are the uh, the Two-Face and the Riddler. So my wife goes ahead and buys one for me, and we open it up, and sure enough, I got Riddler. I'm sorry. So it's, it's times of- like this that you realize Wayne doesn't follow you on Twitter or Instagram. <clears throat> <laughs> because I've been posting pictures of those super superhero domos for weeks now. I have an extra <laughs> Superman you can have, Wayne. What? Ooh, I'm excited now. I have. Yeah, I, how many of them have you bought to get the good ones? Um, well, I don't have any of the rare Superman. Because um, the the one that stresses Clark Kent is one in every 144 boxes. Yeah. <laughs> but I have managed to get three copies of uh, New 52 Superman. Oh, I'm excited because I would have been happy with any of the Supermans. Yeah, so I got one. I, I'll, I'll bring it for you. For Remember, I only created a... Uh, I only created an Instagram account just so I could log on and like something that Aaron posted. I've never <laughs> logged on after that. <laughs> and that was just to get a rise out of Tim. Aaron, I've got something for you, too. Jeez. All right. All right. You know, I am uh, I am bringing some uh, uh, Texas-specific uh, adult beverage for uh, Fear the Con. Oh, yeah. I am. I'm bringing the Texas uh, Texas whiskey. That we re- reviewed on three beers and a scotch. What about the Drambuie? Uh, that has to stay here. That can't come. <laughs> and, the, and the three beers. <clears throat> well, <Come> on, Aaron. <laughs> <laughs> so I also have to say I'm I'm kind of proud of the anime STL crowd because uh, you know I've got my Scarlet Spider hoodie that my wife made me last year for my birthday. And I've worn it around quite a few places, and occasionally I'll get a comment. Occasionally someone will recognize the character. You know, I wore it to Wizard World, and I think I had one person comment. And I wore it to Anime STL, and I had like seven people know who the character was and mention it. So, like, this crowd knows more classic Spider-Man than uh, than the the Wizard Wizard World crowd did. Yeah. So, Wayne, we don't talk about it much, but are you an anime fan? I am. I uh, it wasn't originally. If 
if you like listen to the old episodes of Fear the Boot, even I was very anti-anime and anti-manga because I didn't like the manga influence in comics in the 90s. Uh-huh. And I had too many people tell me I would enjoy anime to the point that it just really put me off of it. Started pissing you off. Don't tell yeah. me what I'm going to like. Don't try. And, you don't know me. Exactly. Yeah, I got gotcha. you. And then uh, so my wife's been a huge fan for basically as long as I've known her. So there's a local anime store and I took her in for the one year anniversary of the store. Because they had a bunch of events and prizes going and things. And I sat down and I watched an anime called Summer Wars there and really got into it. So it's like from then I started kind of branching out, seeing what was on Netflix. And before long, I kind of became an anime addict and started watching everything. I, uh, I, 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 there are some anime that I like a great deal, but for the most part, I just can't stand it. I've, uh, I've seen so much good and so much bad in the last two years that I've been into anime. Yeah, that's uh, that's a fair point. There's a lot of really bad out there. And I think that's my problem. I think it's that I've just seen too much that was just, you know, more style than substance. Uh, mm-hmm. I'm sure that I'm sure that if 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 there was a an anime fan that said, you know, see these three movies, you know, uh, you know, and just pulling them out for me, maybe my, my perspective would change. But there is very little of the anime that I've seen that I've enjoyed. That was basically what I was at when I back when I hated anime. Yeah. It wasn't until I started getting into it and gave it a, uh, a chance that I found a lot of really good stuff. You know, I know it's a bit of a stereotype, but what turned me off of anime, and I was big into it, big into it for a while, but what turned me off was the tentacle porn. Oh, see, that's my, that, I, think, I find that that is what I like the most about it. <laughs> <laughs> I've successfully avoided that. I have yet to see it. You know, seriously, I, I, I saw it way too often, and I was like, all right, I'm out. That's you because can- you were watching hentai. There used to be uh, a uh, science fiction convention here in the Dallas-Fort Worth area called Dallas Fantasy Fair, and it was one of those conventions that was a, it was a twenty-four hour convention. You know, I mean, there was something going on every hour of the day while the convention was going on, and they would have those uh, uh, video rooms. And it was back in the day; it was videotapes and whatnot. And you know, the the adult subject matter would take over at about midnight, you know, between midnight and like 5 a.m. And it would be all of that, you know, tentacle porn stuff. And I remember walking into the room because we were playing uh, Killer, which is like that, you know, the assassination game, you know, where you're hunting each other down with your pop guns. And, uh, you know, so I was hiding out in the in the video room while uh, the assassin who was out after me was, was stalking the hallway. And I remember just seeing this, you know, tentacle porn and it just – horrified by it and <laughs> strangely aroused. <laughs> they had some of that at Gen Con the, uh, the year I went there. They had an anime hall and they had what they called the Hentai Cafe. Yeah. And it was uh, late at night. They would play stuff like that. And yeah. They that's would, they, that's they, not what all anime is, but it definitely exists. The, you, yeah. you hit it on the head. J- Japanese are kind of perverted. Well, the, the, the stuff that I, I dislike about a lot of the anime I've seen is that – you know, it's that kind of, of manga style with, you know, the big eyes and, you know, the you go from just a, a, a really beautiful uh, drawn scene to something that just seems like it's unfinished. You know, yeah, I, I'm with you. I hate that style. Yeah. And it's that as I thought all anime was that that was one of the yeah. reasons I disliked it. And it's like I really disliked manga because, you know, back in the 90s, they started drawing regular Marvel and DC books sure. with the manga influence. And it really sure. pissed me off. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, you know, it, I, I would love to, to get some recommendations on, you know, 
a couple of really good anime movies, and maybe I ought to give them a, ch- a shot because, you know, like I said, I don't enjoy a lot of what I've seen. So there you go. Hmm. Interesting. Now, Paul. Yes, sir. <clears throat> I've not enjoyed much anime, but I understand that you're a big fan of the Batman Arkham games. You know, I um, so I beat Batman Arkham Asylum. Uh huh. And I only really got about. And you got the T-shirt, right? Yeah, and I got the T-shirt. Okay. <laughs> and I only got about 15 minutes into Batman Arkham City, not because I disliked it. I just ran out of time, and then it ended up going back on the shelf and never played it. Yeah, I haven't well, finished Arkham City yet either. I'm playing through it. I just haven't finished it. Yeah, not only that, the ending of it was spoiled online. Fuck um, So I was like... Who does that? That's what I want to know. Who spoils stuff? I don't know. I mean, I read that the Joker died, and I just didn't want to play the game anymore. (laughs) 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 Um but anyway, so uh, but I will break it back out because they are they have announced this week that um, coming I believe this October is uh, Batman Arkham Origins, which is a prequel to the series. Um, it's actually not done by developer Rocksteady. It's going to be done by uh, Warner Montreal, but in the same style and same engine and everything. Um, a, a prequel game that features like younger versions of the characters, like a younger version of the Penguin. Black Mask is in it. Deathstroke is in it. And uh, I'm pretty excited. It looks really awesome. It takes place like Christmas Eve. So, you know, you're fighting in the snow. I mean, visually, it looks very striking. And the Batman Arkham series is probably one of the best video game series um, related to comic books out there. I, have never- I wonder if there'll be more playable characters because like one of the things they did with uh, arkham city was they brought in catwoman as a playable character i would love to play as robin because their robin costume in arkham city just it's one of my favorite robin costumes it just looks so cool aaron you were saying you've never played them i have never played one of the batman arkham games really i think i i i I think you are missing out well i'm sure i am i don't have a lot of time to to play xbox and so I, I'm real choosy about what I'll pick up because, you know, I never get to finish a game. You yeah, know? Arkham City was – it's one of those games where you're playing it and you actually can feel like Batman because all of the things Batman does, they did their best to work it into the game. The story was good. The art was good. And you had this real feeling of I'm sneaking around in the shadows now, trying to take people out silently. If it allows you to play like Batman and it's immersive and it allows you to feel like you're Batman, how much time do you get to spend brooding? As often as you want. <laughs> yeah, because you well, spend a lot of time in the shadows waiting for uh, a chance to strike at someone. Okay. So you can be brooding in those shadows. <laughs> I mean, if, and being perched up on something in a brooding manner, that's that's constant throughout the game. And um, written by Paul Dini. The first two were written by Paul Dini and featured Kevin Conroy and Mark Hamill. Cool. Um, as the voices, I don't know. You know, they haven't announced the uh, creative talent behind the third one, but um, I mean, the first two are just stellar, stellar games. So Arkham Origins coming out later on this year. I'm I'm psyched about it. So and now I have to beat Arkham City, which I hear is about a ten hour game. Well, but uh, I, I was able to beat Tomb Raider, so I can do I can do this one too. I am pretty excited about Injustice: Gods Among Us coming out this week, this Tuesday, in fact. This week, I'm gonna kick your ass. I, I, I am so excited. I I am I have taken the day off of work for the 19th, so I can just play Injustice all day long. And I believe you have done the same, Paul. I be, wait, is the 19th Friday? Yes, I have. And and, and I was and, wondering why I took that off. <laughs> and, and Andrew has done so as well. He sent me a note yesterday saying that he was off on the 19th. 
So, uh, you know, going to have to crush it. Agreed. I'm very excited. To it. I, I so, also, well, no, that was about, that, that was just going to be a poor, poor transition. <laughs> As opposed to the one you're going for. As opposed, yeah. But anyway, <laughs> since we're talking about Batman and, you know, I think we should probably start off this week's new comic spotlight by talking about the two Batman books that came out this week. Yes. Um, Batman number 19 and Batman and Robin number 19. Um, but starting with Batman, um, Scott Snyder, Gray Capullo, uh, is uh, Gray Capullo's back on the title after taking that one issue off that was drawn by uh, Andy Kuber. And uh, so this is, again, part of the, the WTF Month initiative. So it features a fold-out cover with Bruce Wayne pointing a gun at Jim Gordon. And let Unless me just buy it digitally like that. No, wrong. They fixed it this time. They, really? You, you actually get the full cover. I mean, nice. I, I guess I guess you know they they realized what they had done on the previous week's covers and they made it right this time. They listened to us exactly, clearly. So, so Aaron, what did you think of uh, Batman number nineteen? Um, I, I I thought it was interesting. Um, it was I enjoyed some of his his remembrances. You know, there's there's a, you know Batman's up in his head a lot in this book, um, and I kind of dug that. I was having a hard time placing the time because – and I forget which book it was, if it was Batman and Robin or the previous issue of Batman where he told Alfred to take a hike. Uh, Batman Inc. Okay, Batman Inc. Okay, because this all seems to be taking place in that <clears throat> in that same span of time, but Alfred hasn't taken his hike. <laughs> <laughs> but, well, uh, uh, Alfred doesn't listen too good. He's a shitty butler. <laughs> hate that guy. But uh, no, I, I, th- I dug this book. I dug this book. Yeah, so Scott Snyder has basically said Batman 19 and 20 are his quick mystery story that he, he was doing as an ode to Batman the Animated Series. He said he wanted to always write a comic that was like the Batman Animated Series. And as such, you could see that one of his favorite characters from the Animated Series was Clayface, mm-hmm. um, who makes an appearance in this issue. And um, I enjoyed the issue. I noticed a very striking difference in the art good or bad um i haven't decided yet so the inker of the title um is it fco plus ncs something like that um the inker left the book with uh, issue 17 and so now danny miki is doing the inking on gray capullo's art and it's a lot it's a lot cleaner i think i mean i noticed it from page one that the, the inking was just a lot cleaner it wasn't so I don't know. It, it, like a daytime scene felt like a daytime scene. It felt brighter sure. to me. Um, so I don't know how I feel about it. I mean, it, 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 for me, it, it sounds like it didn't bug you, but it was it, it was a very different feel to me, which is funny because it's the same artist. It's just yeah. a different inker. No, it didn't bother me at all. And it really didn't jump out at me. I didn't make the connection that there was a new inker on the book. Yeah, I noticed it right away. And, you know, I mean, I especially like the scene where he's dealing with, uh, is it the Reaper? Um, yeah. Yeah, and it just – I was like, okay, this is a nighttime scene, and I know it would look different if it was two issues ago. Right. But, I mean, it's not a bad thing. It's just – it's a different thing, and I just need to get used to the new art style. But, I mean, I enjoyed the story. I thought it was a good story. Um, I got to say, as much as I enjoyed the first story, I feel like I enjoyed the backup even more. Yes. Uh, the backup, um, written by James Tinian IV, um, featuring art by Alex Maleev, uh features Batman and Superman taking on uh, a supernatural character. And uh, so obviously Superman, his uh, 
his one of his few weaknesses is magic. So he's uh he's basically getting weaker and weaker as the story goes on, and I I really enjoyed that. Well, and I I, I when I when when you first turned the page into that uh, Batman Superman backup, I was like, oh, is this something from the the Jay Lee Greg Pak you know thing coming up because it does the uh, the pencils by Alex Maleev are in the same wheelhouse as Jay Lee's artwork. Agreed. Very atmospheric, you know, moody. And so it, was, it took me a second to realize, okay, that's not Jay Lee. This isn't a preview, you know, and it was actually the, the, the backup feature. And, and I dug it. I dug it. Yeah, and, you know, because it's very odd that you'll see a Superman story with Superman basically walking through an apartment building. Right. <laughs> Instead of just crashing through the wall Yeah. where he needs to go. And um, But there's a reason for it. You know, he's, he's weak. The, the magic has weakened him. He's nauseous. He's not feeling well. And so basically, you know, he's just following Batman in this investigation. And it's just it's a different angle than you typically see on Superman. And I, I really enjoyed it. Well, and I like the way Alex Maleev draws Superman. Yeah. Yeah. In fact, I, I would say, he, you know, he would be a good backup for Jay Lee, like the second storyline or whatever. Absolutely. And I don't recall having seen Alex Maleev do much over at DC. He's usually a, a Marvel guy. So it was really nice to see him drawing, you know, uh, Batman and Superman. Yeah, in fact, I think he's normally a Bendis guy. You yeah, know, absolutely. Used to seeing him doing. Yeah, so, yeah, I enjoyed it. I enjoyed that. I, I especially enjoyed that quite a bit. And you know, even if you don't read Batman, but you like Superman, I think it's worth it just for the backup story. Yeah, yeah. No, I dug it. It was good stuff. So, you know, Batman and Batman nineteen is shown kind of dealing with the effects of of Damian Wayne's death, but not quite as much as we see in Batman and Robin number nineteen. I'm sorry, Batman and Red Robin number nineteen. Yes, thank you. Batman and Red Robin number 19, which also at WTF Month features Carrie Kelly on the cover. Yes. Uh, you know, we talked a little bit about that last week. So, uh, Aaron? Um, you know, I'm torn by this book. I, I am conflicted, as it were, because I, the number one, the artwork by Patrick Gleason is fan-freaking-tastic in this book. I, I I love the artwork from page one all the way to the end. Uh, I thought that it was just amazing. Probably one of his strongest in the series. Yeah, I mean, and you know, draw. There's so much range in the book. There are these, you know, very bright pages with Carrie Kelly on them. You know, that are that are daytime and you know, uh, lots of energy. And the the angles are shot from a very whimsical sort of angle. You, know, mm-hmm. you get this 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 very different energy every time Carrie Kelly's on the page. You know, I I don't know if you picked up on that, but you know, it's the it's the whimsy of a teenage girl, you know, that, that's you really pick up that energy out of the book. And then, you know, you've got the contrast of every panel with with Bruce or Batman on it is dark and brooding and, you know, just as as much negative energy as you can. Not just negative energy, but creepy. I mean, yeah. this is a creepy Batman. Well, and so here's what I'm torn with about the book. I'm torn on a couple of things. It, you know, the the story is we find out that, that Batman is on a quest to resurrect his dead son, which is a little bit of a predictable kind of story. And I'm sorry, I've really seen this story in the pages of Teen Titans prior to the New 52 when Tim Drake was trying to re- resurrect Superboy, right? Mm-hmm. So it just seems a little familiar. Um, but beyond that, we learned that not only is you know Batman cruel to crime – He's also cruel to just essentially innocent bystanders and is, in fact, a miserable bastard. 
um, <laughs> because he kidnaps he kidnaps uh, the Frankenstein monster, you know, and dissects him essentially yeah. to figure out how to reanimate Damian Wayne. And I gotta tell you, the whole time I'm like, you know, and they make the point. Well, you know, my studies show that your head can be disconnected from your body and it won't kill you, right? Yeah. And so that doesn't mean that it's okay to cut a guy up while he's conscious. Because <laughs> yeah, to talk him through it. Because right. you know, yeah, it, it's it's definitely out of character for Batman. Yeah. Well, and I gotta say, I, this from my perspective, Batman's a villain in this book. Bat, Batman should have been put down in this book. You know, I mean, he—I I really have an issue with the fact that he was just so okay with, uh, uh, you know, hurting somebody who has fought on the side of good. Somebody who—I mean, it just—he violated this guy's rights. I mean, <laughs> I—you have an intrinsic right not to be cut apart. <laughs> And exactly, you know, it's not a Mazo that he's cutting up. It's that's right, Frankenstein, another a fellow superhero. Yeah, yeah. A Justice League. I was I was horrified by what Batman did in this book. And while I find that a, a very interesting character choice, what bugs me is he he gets to walk away from it. Mm-hmm. You know, that's I mean, it just blew my mind. You know, he's stolen all these cadavers. You know, I, I understand that Batman's grieving. But uh, you know, there's an appropriate way to deal with that. I don't know why he wouldn't be on the search. I, I know they're saying that there aren't any more Lazarus pits, but you know, why wouldn't he be searching for something like that? Yeah, and not only that, you know, he was going to test this ability, you know, bring resurrecting uh, dead bodies on those cadavers. Yeah. And what was he going to do? I mean, like, if the cadaver came back to life. Yeah. It, it, it's definitely like, it's not something you see Batman do, and maybe. And maybe that's the point. You know, he's grieving. He's going through this horrible process, but it just it it may have been a bit too much for me to swallow. It uh, it was so incredibly out of character for Bruce. And I get that they're trying to show, you know, he, he, he is in such a state of grief. He's not making rational decisions. He's not the Batman we know, you know, because he's so out of sorts. I get that. But this is one of those things that that is just so far out of the line. You know? Agreed. Agreed. So, so I'm conflicted because I enjoyed number one the again the artwork on the book. I mean, just look at that contrast between the page where uh, Batman is is confronting Red Robin, uh, you know, and they've got the uh, you know the 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 laboratories in flames, and Batman you know uh, goes out the ceiling, leaving Red Robin there with with the Frankenstein monster all cut up, who says, "I would appreciate a hand getting myself together." And then you flip to the very next page, and you've got Carrie Kelly, you know, uh, playing some sort of uh, you know dance game on Xbox. I mean, the, the so book, Batman not only chopped him up, he left him chopped up, uh, and left it left Red Robin to uh, to fix it. Yeah, well, because what Red Robin does is he basically blows up the entire experiment. Right, and I love Batman's reaction to it when Red Robin starts to talk, and basically he kicks Red Robin's ass with a look. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, like, you look at that panel, and it looks yeah. like he almost punches Red Robin with his oh, face. Yeah. yeah, I mean, the again, the artwork is amazing in this book. I mean, Patrick Gleason communicates more on a panel without words than a lot of writers can convey in eight panels with words. I mean, there there is, there is so much there on the page. It's amazing. Uh, I'm just... It's not that it's a it's a, a bad story. I was very entertained in this book. I enjoyed this book a great deal. I'm just having trouble that if this is 
if this moment stands, I think there's got to be consequences to this. You know, and I hope I, I, I think what we're going to see, and I could be wrong, is Batman further spiraling down and down yeah. in this Batman and Robin book, um, you know, and maybe paying for the con- hopefully paying for the consequences of his actions. I hope it's not just a smack on the hand like, Bruce, you knew better. I know. Yeah. You know, I, I really hope it's, it's more than that, because so, I mean, this is definitely a big thing. So let me ask you, what do you think of Carrie Kelly in the book? You know, I enjoyed her appearance. I did too. Not only did I enjoy her appearance, I actually liked her character more than I did in Batman Dark Knight Returns. Well, she's older. She's older. She's you know, so she's more mature. She doesn't speak you know that Frank Miller weird ass future speak. Um, <laughs> <laughs> you know, she she's she's a teenager, and apparently she's been tutoring Damian Wayne on something we don't know what yet. Yeah. Um, I think what we'll eventually find out is that she's tutoring, she's getting him caught up on movies or something yeah, like I that. I think she's some kind of pop culture mentor. Son of a bitch. Well, That's what it. Remember in Batman and Robin eighteen, Bruce uh, Batman finds those movies and she and there's a note on them that says I think you or the list of movies. Yes. I think you you should watch these movies and it said C K. Yes. I thought that was Clark Kent. Yeah. It's Carrie Kelly. Yeah. So she's probably basically training him to be a real boy. Um, <laughs> Or was training him to be a real boy, and I think that's what we're going to find out is you know through this storyline. And I, I enjoyed her appearance. I did too. I did too. I, I liked her a lot, and I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing more of her. Yeah. And if that's the situation that she was basically doing that, you know, to to help him be more human, right. then I think that's an awesome character turn for her. It, well, I, I think it's a nice turn for her, and I think it's a nice backstory to Damien. Mm-hmm. You know, just it's nice to see that there are things that we didn't know about him. You know, mm-hmm. so anyway, I, I dug it, I, and I know that Tim was was really opposed to uh, seeing Carrie Kelly show up, and then she does show up in the Robin costume, and there's a reason for that in the story. Um, I, I I thought it was a welcome addition, and, and I'm happy to see it. Absolutely agreed. So, so I know it's like a costume party or something, but uh, isn't yeah. it a bit out of taste to come dressed as Robin when you know Robin the, just died? The world doesn't know he's dead. The world doesn't know he's dead. Uh. Uh-uh. No, it's not really an advertised thing. I mean, it's in that, you know, that TV show backup, whatever, Channel 52. But, you know, it's not really a well-known thing in the DC universe that Batman's dead. Like in Batman number 18, they just know that Batman's jacked up. They don't know that Robin's dead. Right. Because, you know, keep in mind that that Batman's an urban urban legend. So it's not like you you got vast news coverage about the Robins. Yeah. Despite the, the the backup feature, the the the, the weird Channel Fifty Two nonsense. <laughs> I love how we describe that. That yeah, you know, that Channel Fifty Two piece of shit. Yeah, that thing I skip every week. <laughs> so, speaking, you know, since we're still on WTF month, um, a big WTF issue for me this week, but not in a bad way, was Superboy number nineteen. Yep. Um, so on the cover. Uh, you know, you, you find out in the, kind of um, that Superboy is in the New 52, not the um, genetic successor or the genetic combination of Superman and Lex Luthor. Well, uh, the the genetic love child <laughs> of, Clark, of Clark Kent and Lex Luthor. And we'll talk more about that when we get into our sex talk later on. <laughs> <laughs> um, but rather, he is the uh, the genetic love child of Superman and Lois Lane. What? Yeah. <laughs> um, so in this story, this story basically 
almost like answers every question from Superboy number one, yeah. Teen Titans number one, um, Ravagers, The Culling, all of that. And it they, answers why they were written so poorly. Um, <laughs> it sort <does>. of. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, uh, basically, you find out that um, in the future. And it, it, it hints at a lot of other things, too, because we've already found out that Superman and Wonder Woman being together is bad for the time-space continuum, but we don't know why. Well, we find out in this issue that in the future, Superman and Lois Lane have a child. Unfortunately, as the the, the, the genes of a human and Kryptonian don't really work well together, um, the child apparently dies. Superman and Lois Lane kind of go into hiding, and the child is kidnapped and brought back to life by um, Superman's arch nemesis in the future, um, who I don't recall if he's actually named or not. I don't believe he is. Um, so he, he, he basically takes the child and raises him as his own. And uh, basically falls in, you know, not falls in love, but you know, grows to love Superman's child as his own. Um, but unfortunately, the genetic imperfections are still too strong. Um, so he, you know, he basically goes into a coma, Superboy of the future, and to replicate, to to try to replicate the child, um, the villain takes, you know, the same genetic code and creates the Superboy clone, and that's the lead character of Superboy the series. Um, so you know, there's time that. travel involved too. Well, and, and a lot of time travel because you know this happened, you know, far into the future because this guy is waging war on all of Earth's meta-powered heroes, and so he keeps regressing further into the past. And each time he moves into the past, he sacrifices a piece of himself. And right. so he, one of the things he says when he comes into this era is that that's the last time I'm going to be able to do this because I've lost so much of my mass. Um, yeah. But I got to tell you, it, it, it did exactly what Paul said. It answers so many questions. And all of a sudden you, you have a context for the past 18 issues. Yeah, I know I'm giving a lot of exposition and describing basically this issue page by page, yeah. but it is a hefty, hefty issue. Yeah. There are so much happens in this one issue. In fact, you know, I mean, they're setting up for there to be this this clone Superboy versus the actual child of Superman and Lois Lane who's still alive. Yeah. Um, you know, as a character and I just I, I gotta say, I, considering how much I hated issue eighteen, mm -hmm. I really, really loved this issue. Yeah, no, it was really good, and I, and I love how they set up, like you said, Paul, that the Superman Wonder Woman relationship is bad for the universe. You know <laughs> that that uh, this isn't the way time was supposed to go. Um, you know, it changes a lot of stuff. So you know, it already establishes that the future that this guy came from is not the future that's in store for us because things are already changing. Yeah, so. you know, in his future in Lois Lane, Clark Kent had a baby. You know, now with Superman being with Wonder Woman, that may not come to pass because he refers to it as happening in the early 21st century. Right. So, I, I I just really enjoyed this issue. I liked. I actually like that. Um, that twist and it seemed like they were you know it, it, i would have been disappointed if they just revealed it was superman and lex Luthor again yeah so but i i honestly didn't think they would go with superman and lois lane yeah i wonder if this uh the future world this guy was from was actually the pre-new 52 one i think we might see some of that i mean I, it seems like you know he comes from it, it, i don't know it, it seems like they might be building that i don't know but uh, Wayne, I, I actually recommend checking this issue out. Yeah, it was really good. I, I might buy it digitally, but uh, I've got so many things to read digitally with the Marvel 700 free issues this week. Oh, that's true. 
but it's worth it. It's definitely worth checking out, and it sets up a. It does set up an interesting status quo of Superboy um, for the new writer, and uh, I think the art team stays the same. But for the new writer that's coming on with the next issue, so I'm I'm gonna check it out. You know, I was out with issue 18, but what pulled me in on this one was the cover, <laughs> and uh, I'm I'm glad I checked it out because it is an entirely exposition issue. Yeah. There, I mean, this issue is basically like we're just gonna explain everything to you. <laughs> I would not have been able to predict that it was uh, Superman and Lois. Yeah, and it is totally worth worth checking out. Yeah. So, Wayne. Yes. I know you were a little excited about a a certain appearance of a a '90s has been in uh, today's issue of Avenging Spider-Man. Has been. <laughs> you, you wound me, Paul. I'm sorry. Uh, I'm sorry. Never, a 90s, never been. <laughs> yeah, a, a '90s never was. Sorry. <laughs> he he has a fan following. Of a couple of us. Of exactly Tim and Wayne. Exactly. A GeoCities website does not count as a fan. <laughs> I, I have always loved the Sleepwalker character. I have every issue of his main series, and I've done my best to track down every appearance he's ever been in. Because there aren't that many outside of his main book. So it's not that hard, really. I was uh, I bought this Avenging Spider-Man number 19 solely because Sleepwalker is on the cover. And I I really enjoyed it. I like seeing Sleepwalker after all this time. I like I think the portrayal was pretty good compared with what the original character was like. Uh, the issue and story was it was okay. Like I wouldn't say this is one of the best issues of Spider-Man I've ever read. That's for sure. But for pure pure nostalgia purposes, I enjoyed the book. You know, I gotta say it's probably my least favorite of the Avenging Spider-Man Superior Spider-Man issues. Um, but it does have a pretty interesting um, scene in which Peter Parker does confront Doc Ock in his mind, and Doc Ock kind of starts to realize that something's up. You know, he, he does actually say, you know, that felt a little less like a nightmare and more like it was actually happening. Um, you know, which we're seeing to start unfold in a, in Superior Spider-Man as well. So, I, uh, I mean, I enjoy the book. It. it <laughs> I, I I was never a huge fan of Sleepwalker. I mean, he was around the same time as Darkhawk, and you know, I mean, like I have the nostalgia feeling for them, but I don't I'm, feel like either. One I'm a big fan of Darkhawk as well. At least I was until uh, till they went and killed him. Uh, I just I, I mean I liked both characters back in the '90s, but they just don't hold up as well. And maybe had, it's just poor writing for me. I think they could do a reboot of Sleepwalker that would be very good in a modern story. He would have to be updated quite a bit, though. Yeah, and uh, they're not. They're not updating him. They're you know they're keeping the same type of character. But I mean, I here's the thing. I didn't dislike the book. I enjoyed it. Um, it doesn't seem like it, it, it fed that sleepwalker need that you had, though, Wayne. No, I mean, I I really enjoyed seeing him, even if it's a slightly watered down version of him. It was just good to see him on the page. I'm happy I bought the issue. It definitely wasn't the the best appearance of him, but. There's very little in here that goes against the way Sleepwalker was. I mean, he's kind of in, he's pretty much in character. They do have to do the exposition of, uh, you know, here's who I am and what I do, even though Spider-Man and him have met quite a few times. And he's even met Doc Ock. Yeah. But, you know, just because the characters know him doesn't mean the readers other than me have any clue who he is. Which is probably accurate. So I, I get that. I get that you've got to do the exposition of who he is and what he is like nobody had ever met him because most of the readers have never met him. 
Yeah, I did enjoy when he um, when he's like Spider Man. What's up with all the Doc Ock imagery in your mind? Because I mean, there's like Spider Man is standing there with Doctor Octopus arms in his dreams. And yeah, he's like, I, uh, hmm. <laughs> I like that. I thought they did a great job with the dialogue. I like that the big bad villain in the uh, the dream initially takes the form of a giant octopus. Yeah. I mean, it was, it, again, and the art was very well done. I think uh, Marco Cicchetto, who uh, worked with Greg Rucka on the Punisher series, is the artist on this book. And uh, so the art is very, very well done. Just, yeah. I mean, it was just a done-in-one story that was kind of a throwaway story. Yeah, and that's definitely fair. It really did seem like it was just kind of a throwaway story. I, so I, I thought Sleepwalker looked great art-wise. Like if they were ever going to do a reboot and update him, I would love to see uh, th- this artist on the series. Because I thought he did a wonderful job. Well, going from a throwaway story to a story you want to throw away, Age of Ultron number five came out this week. Wait, so, now, now, Paul, was it not good? Did you not enjoy your Age of Ultron? Oh, my God. It gets worse and worse. I am so happy that I've been out since issue, since issue yeah. two. <laughs> I have held on with the enjoying it longer than anyone else, but I'm just getting angrier and angrier at the story at this point. And part of it is because, yes, they wrote this thing you know, a while back so it doesn't fit into current stories. I am a Vision fan, and Vision did not come back like this. We saw how Vision came back. They yeah, wrote that, that story at the time since this story was written. Not only that, a lot of this stuff, I mean, all of the continuity issues that are happening with Age of Ultron could be fixed in dialogue. They didn't actually need to change any art. They really didn't. They could have fixed everything in dialogue. I don't know what's wrong with the vision. He just passed out. You know, they could have fixed all of this just in dialogue, and they didn't. You know, the the Peter Parker Spider-Man versus Superior Spider-Man stuff. I mean, this is clearly Peter Parker Spider-Man, no matter what Superior Spider-Man number 5AU says. Um, And he talks like it. And it's like, you know, I, I know this story took a long time to draw, but you could have changed the dialogue boxes before you released it or the dialogue balloons. And so, I mean, there's just a ton of that stuff I mean, the, the main issue, the main issue that I could see that probably, I mean, even though they came up with a way around, it was fantastic Four being there. But, um, I mean, it's, it's a, just a ridiculous story in that, you know, we spent four issues with the superheroes on their butts. Then all of a sudden they're in the savage land and they have a time machine where some heroes go into the future to, uh, to 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 defeat Ultron, and Wolverine decides, well, I'm going to go into the past and kill Hank Pym. And I'm like, um, really? Like, that's your solution? You know, and they try to justify it by saying, well, if we tell him not to build it, he'll build it anyway. Well, then kidnap him. Do something, you know? Didn't Reed die, too? Because, I mean, I thought he died in either one of the uh, I thought in one of the earlier issues of Age of Ultron or in Fantastic Four they gave the indication that he was dead that Sue was the only survivor of the Fantastic Four. But oh, I don't Reed's know. I didn't read the Fantastic Four. But I mean it was just it, the series is just very poorly written. It went on too long to begin with and now it's rushing and it's not making sense. Yeah, and I'll be honest the point where it really started to make me angry was the point where the they had their big reveal of Vision. Because I like the character, and I am really sick and tired of this Vision becomes the bad guy type storyline. I've seen it happen too many times. It's not a good story anymore. I just, I don't, and I I honestly, I feel like they should have just not bothered with it. I feel like, you know, they already started the Marvel Now initiative. The series, you know, was announced years ago. 
but you know not completed they should have just let it die because now it's continuity errors ahoy it doesn't really affect the current marvel universe um it's leading to a bunch of stupid tie-ins that have to try to explain you know the continuity issues like all of these tie-ins are ridiculous because in your you go through your regular book and then you stop for one issue for a story set in a universe that isn't going to impact it you know in the end at all and the next issue is like the previous issue never happened that is the stupidest way to do a tie-in that i've ever seen any of the comic companies do yeah so i'm i'm i don't know if i'm on board for the next five issues I mean, I know they're building something. I know they say this is going to change the Marvel Universe because they're going back in time, and it's going to change current continuity and all that. But you know what? The stories just suck. I mean, the the story just sucks. Yeah, and if it were really going to change current continuity that much, could they have their one Age of Ultron month and then have the next issue like it never happened? That's a good point. I don't know. I mean, I just – very disappointing. And, uh, you know, I'm, I'm, I really wish they would have just not bothered with it at this point. rather than release your story two years late just don't release it that's how i feel about it but going to something a little more continuity light a little bit of a uh what was that what was what i just heard a a noise is someone there with you paul maybe paul we've tracked the call the call is coming from inside the house paul (laughs) someone is skyping you from inside the house Get out of the house, Paul. Run! Stay in the light. Um, So, you know, it seems like it's time we have a certain talk with Wayne. I think that it's time that we have the sex talk with Wayne. But I think that's it. I'm out of here. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, so Paul, I think there are there are fewer people better equipped to give the internet the sex talk. Than you and I, I would agree with that. Yeah, yeah, because we are we are sex gurus. <laughs> <laughs> In fact, I think I have a business card that says that. I have a T-shirt that says that. <laughs> Hello, I'm Paula Ponte from the Internet Sex Guru. Sex Guru. <laughs> so lots of conversation this week around uh, sex and comics. Um, we saw earlier in the week a news story where, and I'm quoting the news story, that Apple had banned the current issue of Saga uh, due to some risque images uh, featuring man on man sexual activity on very small panels <laughs> within yeah. the Saga uh, comic book. And then we found out that it was not, in fact, Apple that had banned the comic, but rather Comixology practicing some self-censorship due to their interpretation of what the Apple policy was. And in fact, on Wednesday, Saga was indeed available through the Comixology app. Correct. But there's now, this a- is not the first time that this has happened. Correct. You know, app, you know, we have seen uh, other books such as uh, Joe Casey's sex book, um, as well as Black Kiss, not offered through the Apple iOS app. Um, however, the, you know, one of the biggest uh, things about this particular issue was that Saga has had some explicit scenes in its previous 11 issues, um, and people were attributing it incorrectly um, to the homosexuality aspect right. of the of the act in Saga number 12, um, and you know that was actually not the case. We are seeing sort of a resurgence of some uh, high-profile storytellers 
telling more sexually explicit stories in uh, comics these days. We have the aforementioned uh, Sex by Joe Casey. We have the Black Kiss books by uh, Suddenly Drawn a Blank. Howard Chaykin. Thank you, uh, Howard Chaykin. And, of course, uh, one of the most popular independent comics out there right now, uh, Saga by Brian K. Vaughn. Um, so, you know, we wanted to have a conversation about, you know, sex and comics today. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, the moment we said, hey, we're going to talk about sex and comics today, Tim opted out. <laughs> <laughs> Tim doesn't like it when we talk about the down there areas. Um, he's afraid of the vaj- the vajayjay. Um, and so, you know, he stepped away. And, of course, you saw that Wayne immediately opted out because I think he thought we were going to talk about uh, some of the more oral action. And... Uh, <laughs> So, you know, Paul and I are your sex gurus here to talk to give you the straight dope about sex. We should have made this a call-in show. <laughs> so, Paul, what do you think of the VJJ? Well, <laughs> I love it, of course. <laughs> no, I, you know, I, I – uh, in all seriousness – because vaginas are serious. Um, <laughs> I read – I got all caught up on Saga. I read five issues of Saga last night, and I, I, I maintain that that's one of the best books being uh, published out there. I think that uh, uh, the sex that appears in those stories are you know, key to the story. Um, you know, there are certainly things that are, that are uh, oh gosh, you know, gratuitous, but intentionally so. You know, to move the story forward, you know, that there's that that whole scene with the big giant monster and all you can see is his, you know, diseased, almost leprous <laughs> scrotum. Yeah. You know, and it, we, we all reacted rather, you know, harshly to that. But, you know, there are the thing that I like the, about the way Brian K. Vaughn tells his story with Saga is that he addresses kind of the full human experience. You know, we've got our heroes who have fallen in love. They've had a child together. We get to see them enjoying each other sexually, but we also get to see them, you know, doing other things that are human, like arguing with your in-laws. Um, it's you—you you really get a full experience, and certainly, you know, it's set in the science fiction setting, and there's, you know, very fantastical. But you also have these very human moments with the characters, and I—I I think it all works together, and I don't find it to be. Uh, I don't find it to be pornography. I don't find it to be, you know, uh, titillation just for titillation's sake. You know what I'm well, saying? Yes, I do. Okay, so so we're gonna actually have differing opinions on this. Here we go. Because, because Paul doesn't like the VJJ. <laughs> I'm sorry. Do you prefer the term sissy? Would you like me to call it the, 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 the sissy or her down there? The lily. <laughs> her flower. <laughs> um. So. I, I don't mind sex in my comic books. I mean, uh-huh. I've been reading, you know, I, I remember when Sin City first came out and that has full frontal male and female nudity, um, you know, and nudity in comics. Okay. Sex in comics. I'm okay with, I'm actually not okay with pornography. If I, in, in my comics and, you know, you say it's not pornography, but you know, I mean, Saga number 12 has Bukaki in it. I mean, and uh you know i i think there when it gets to that level you know i i i think that's a little extreme and i i feel like it, it, you know the 
put the the porn on, and I'm no prude, but you know, I, I go to my <laughs> comics, but when I go to my comics to be entertained by a story or a science fiction setting or something, I, I you know, I go to porn for something else. Can, can you and, point me to the page that disturbs you that you disagreed with in in Saga Twelve? I, it's not that the page just it's not that it disturbed me it's well i mean but you know the the, the two panels in question i mean that that is i, I feel that's pornography you know okay so the, the two panels in question it's one of the tv heads right prince robot the fourth yes and he's taken a shot to the neck and the the image on his um television is a guy blowing another guy right yes okay and so, and and you know, the the next, the, the other second panel is you know essentially the cum shot, right? Correct. But I, that's I, telling you about his character. I mean, he's 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 in his dying moments, and that's what he's thinking about. Okay, I get that. Uh huh. I feel like it could have been done without the the the, the explicitness of the, the you know the pornographic element. I feel like it could have been you could have gotten the same reaction had it been done a different way now okay so on the the second panel where you know it's the 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 face you know come shot on the face and there are three dicks there would you have felt better if it was two dicks <laughs> i mean i feel if you're gonna have three you might as well just have seven on there. <laughs> so I, I guess i guess what doesn't bother me about that is you know it's giving us an insight to the to prince robot the fourth's character um these are and, and certainly, I think that Brian K. Vaughn is trying to be sensational on the page, right? But I, I, I don't feel like it's just random dicks on the page. It's this is what the character is thinking about in his final moments. You know, he's not thinking about his wife. He's not thinking about his unborn child. He's thinking about you know sex with men, um, and that's what I find. That's why I don't characterize it as pornography, because while he's having a pornographic moment, it is a character-driven pornographic moment. It's not pornography for pornography's sake. But you know what? I feel like you could have gotten the same reaction from having, like, you know, he, he's thinking about a bunch of shirtless men, or even a naked guy, or kissing another guy, or something like that. Oh. You know, you could have had... I mean, I understand there, there, there's sensationalism behind it. I understand that the point is he's thinking about this in his dying moments. But I feel like it, the, it, the way it was told was not necessary. You could have gotten... Just important a story beat without the explicit sexuality. I, I don't agree. I don't agree. I think the explicit sexuality. If if he had given you a scene of of two men kissing, right, mm -hmm. um, it would not have shown you the baseness of the character. It would not have shown you, you know, how sensual the character is. You know, it would. It might. You might have said, oh. His, his dying thoughts were about romantic thoughts about another man, whereas his dying moments were about you know intensely sexual activities with multiple men. Okay, well, then you show – I mean you can show two guys having sex without going into explicit penetration and cum all over the face. So, you can show two guys having sex. Okay. It, so. it's, 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 it's about – I mean it is you – know, I mean I, I, I have – no, again, I have no problem with sex and comics, but when it gets to the pornographic level, then it takes me out of the story is how I feel about it. I feel like pornography takes me out of the story. A book like Black Kiss 2, I literally can't – I mean, and again, I, I'm just I, not a prude, but damn it, I just can't read that thing. Well, I couldn't read it because I think it's a poorly written comic. Mm -hmm. I think it's – I think Howard Chaykin exquisitely drew the comic. 
I, I don't disagree with the arti- with the visual artistic choices he made. I just couldn't read it. I wasn't interested in the story. Whereas appropriately placed, I think these pornographic moments from the character perspective work in this story. I don't find them offensive at all. I find them intriguing. I think it gives the characters more depth. Um, and I think that it does uh, uh, really elevate the story and, and, and makes it more interesting. I mean, you know, okay, but – I know that Dr. Light is a pervert without seeing his dick in Sue Dibney's mouth. But that's not the story that they're telling in a DC comic. You know? But I mean, but that's my point. It's, it's, it's not just – I mean I, there are pornographic comics, and I know Image produces independent, independently owned works. And so I guess this is an independent book, and I should look at it as such. But I don't look at it as a pornographic book. I go to pornographic books for, porno, for pornography. Not that I read any pornographic uh, comic books. Right, but, well, gotcha. <laughs> but when I go to a, 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 a science fiction comic, I, I'm not looking for pornography in my science fiction comics. You know, I'm looking for interesting stories, and I think that this just makes the story more interesting, and it provides more depth to the characters. I mean, I, I'm not sitting there going, oh, yeah, oh, yeah. <laughs> TV head, show, show me more things that you're thinking about, you know? <laughs> I, I just – I find it, it complex and interesting and unseemly, and I, and I like that unseemly nature in the story. It's, it's – you know, you've got – You've got the two main characters, you know, uh, uh, whose names escape me, Marco and uh, – uh, gosh, I forget her, her name. But, you know, the, the, the two main characters, the, the, the mother and father who are on the run, and, you know, they're, they're, they also are complex characters, but their love is more traditional and wholesome, and, and, you know, they've really come together and they've created this family. And then you see these people around them, and I just – I love that not everything is so neatly tied up. I love that it's messy, and I love that it's it's seedy. I, I get, I, I dig that about this story. I dig that about Saga. And I agree with you. It's the pornographic element that I have a problem with. I mean, it re, it's and it's not. Again, it's it's not that a sexual element bugs me it's it's that the porn but the porn the pornography aspect of it distracts me from the story for for me it does and you know i feel like i mean you have a very mature take on it but i feel like when you throw a guy blowing another guy explicitly into a science fiction story it is an immature choice oh i disagree and I guess you and I are going to have to agree to disagree on this because uh, I just – I enjoy all the different layers in Saga. I, I, I really do. I mean I respect his decision. Mm-hmm. I, I mean I, – and I, but you know at the same time, I respect Comixology's decision. I respect – if Apple didn't want to carry it, I would respect their decision. If any comic store didn't want to carry it, I would respect their decision because it is a pornographic scene. And if you don't want to carry pornography, there have been too many retailers burned. Oh, no, absolutely. And, Buy it. And that's not the that's that really wasn't where I was going with it. Yeah, I know, of, but of the legal liability. But uh, you know, I love that it was available on Comixology. I, I uh, downloaded Saga through Com- Comixology, even though I get it. We get the uh, the press uh, uh, review editions. Um, I prefer to read it in the, in the Comixology format. So you know, I paid for these five issues of Saga. You wanted to zoom in on that bukkake. Yeah, damn straight. <laughs> I, I want to get all up in it, Paul. I really did. I, I, I enjoyed I enjoyed these elements. I thought they served the story, and I enjoyed Saga. I mean, I just this the story is so great. I mean, I love the contrast. You've got you know uh, Prince Robot the Fourth bleeding out on the battlefield. 
you know, and you've got you've got these pornographic images flashing across his you know television head, and meanwhile you've got the ham the cute and adorable hamster medic running out to render aid. So it's like this contrast between Walt Disney, <laughs> yeah. and Stanley Kubrick. You know, I mean, it's just it's very uh, it, there, there's a lot of contrast there on the page, and I dig it. So well, there you go. I mean, okay, so well, here's a- another book that's had problems with distribution through you know the apple ios app at least with the first issue i don't know if the second issue i think the second issue is available uh, i got both of them through uh, apple oh really okay i know there were issues when it first came out yeah um that have maybe since been reversed is uh joe casey's sex also from image comics um a book that while has a ton of sex in it i feel is not as pornographic um and when I say pornographic, I'm basically referring to you're looking at penetration, you're looking at cum shots. Could you say that slower <laughs> and whisper it? <laughs> I I agree. In fact, for a comic that is called Sex, has remarkably little sex in it. I was surprised. Yeah, I was because I went in and I'm like, okay, where's the sex? And you only in the first issue, you only get to it really at the end of the issue, right? Um, and I gotta say. I did not want to read the second issue of this book. Really? I disliked the first issue greatly, and then I read the second issue anyway, and I gotta say, damn, the book really turns around in the second issue for me. Yeah, and I read them back to back, so maybe that's why uh, uh, I have a different take on it, but I really enjoyed this book for uh, a number of reasons. Now, let's let's talk about what it is, because this is fairly new on the scene, and I don't think it's had uh, nearly as much press as Saga has. Um, you know, sci- the, the story... It involves a retired superhero who, uh, you know, the saint is that was that was that the character's name? Yeah, I think so. Um, and he, you know, picture a a D and D paladin, you know, in uh, in modern times. He very much, you know, exhibited a a you know strict moral code, kind of a Superman character. Uh, mm-hmm. In that, you know, a truth, justice, the American way, you know, very very traditional, conventional values. Well, his uh, his mentor, I'm assuming. I thought initially, I thought that was his mother, but I guess it wasn't his mother, Quinn. Yeah, it's hard to. He refers to her as Quinn and not Mom, so I don't know. So a a, a very maternal, mentory type of character dies, and this is someone who had who had worked with him throughout his crime fighting career. On her deathbed, says, "You've got to retire from this. Twelve years doing what you do is enough. You need to go have a life." And so he's, you know, hung up his his superhero suit, and he is now returning to the community that he had protected for so long as, you know, a normal citizen. But he's having a hard time making that adjustment, you know. And he's kind of lived the life of, you know, celibate superhero for a good long time, and now he's kind of exploring the things that he's denied himself over that period, which I think is a really interesting story to tell. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and so, you know, he is he he wanders into, you know, essentially a great big whorehouse and, you know, uh, pays for a peep show. And so you get to see, you know, a lot of very you know graphic girl on girl action. But, you know, there's also this this character thing going on where he meets essentially, you know, Catwoman to his Batman. And, you know, the the uh, the the, you know, female adversary that there's been some sexual heat between, but maybe nothing has happened. And uh, they, she's running the whorehouse. Very interesting story. Um, 
I really enjoyed it, and I think that the, the I, again the art direction on this is fantastic. You know, as much as I love Fiona Staples on Saga, I really love the artwork in this book. Yeah, and you know, it's not because the the sexual scene in the first book, and there there's a lot of sex in the second book. There's actually more sex in the second issue than there is in the first issue. Yes, it's not quite as explicit as in the first issue. And I am not familiar with the artist Piotr Kowalski. But wow, yeah, motherfucker can draw. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> and yes. the, and the the inks are fantastic. And what what I found really worked well for the book, strangely enough, was the lettering. The lettering really has a very graphic 1970s kind of feel to it. Yeah, what's with the colors on the words? Uh, Have you know, well, you know how they how they'll bold certain words for emphasis in in a comic. They're yeah. they're they're, they're instead of just bolding them, they're slapping color on them to give you that 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 emphasis uh, in this book, which is an interesting choice. I there is a a very there is a very 1970s feel to this book, particularly in the club scenes. It, it feels like oh, yeah. 52 or something, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, anyway, I, I'm just I'm really really digging it. But I gotta tell you what's turning me off on this book, Paul. Hmm. Joe Casey. <laughs> yeah, you know, uh, Joe Casey is kind of the reason I wasn't really interested in the book to begin with. Yeah, it was a Joe Casey book called Sex, and I'm like, okay, well, I don't like Joe Casey, and I don't really want to read. Like I said earlier, I don't want to read a pornography book. Um, and but that being said, I was like, eh, I'll give it a shot. It seems like a crime noir type thing, and it's. I mean, it's it's kind of not. I mean, it's a superhero slash noir type story, um, which I didn't know there was a superhero element at all going into it yeah. so that was a pleasant surprise for me um and i just i really enjoyed it more than i thought i was going to well and, and the reason why i say that i find joe casey to be a turn off in this book is the letters page he writes he writes a column uh and talks about you know promoting his book and and really gets into a uh questions adults who read superhero comics so you know immediately i'm offended <laughs> And you know talks about um, uh, why independent comics are so much better than than uh, uh, the big two, and questions those people who read largely big two comics. And I, I just I feel like he's insulting me the entire time he's writing this this letters column. And I, I just you know I don't understand why he can't just write his fucking book without saying you know. My, you know, independent comics are so much better than any other comic because you know I gotta say I read a number of independent comics, but I always come back to my to my Batman and Superman. You yeah, know? and I gotta tell you, I don't. I, it bugs me when the independent guys and yeah, I'm talking to you. I'm talking to you, you independent guys, when you can't sell your shit without dragging somebody else down. Agreed. You know, stand on the merits of your own fucking work. And don't challenge your audience by saying, well, you really shouldn't be reading those things. And I absolutely agree with what Ron Mars says that, you know, yeah, um, you, 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 you can read your DC comics and your Marvel comics, but you shouldn't read that, you know, exclusively. It's probably not good for you. It's kind of like eating McDonald's every day. And mm-hmm. I get that and I agree with the sentiment. You should have a, a wide and varied uh, uh, library. But at the end of the day, it ought to be what you fucking enjoy. And so, you know, fuck you and your fucking asshole, Joe Casey. Because I, I was grossly offended by what he said, and it was a, it, while I was enjoying the comic, I was pissed off with the creator, and it was like, I don't know that I want to spend any more of my money reading Joe Casey's shit if he thinks so dimly of what I read. Of his own, of his audience, because let's be honest. Yeah. 
people who read comics, there are, I would say maybe, maybe 5% of comic book readers exclusively read independent books. And if I am wrong, I hope our readers will actually comment on ideologyofmadness.com because I want to be proven wrong. But I would say maybe 5% of comic readers exclusively read independent books. Yeah. If that. Um you know, and I'm and I'm not I'm I'm not just talking big two. I'm talking about if you read Star Wars from Dark Horse, if you read Hellboy from Dark Horse, I mean Dark Horse I consider a big company too. IDW I consider a big company. But if you read, you know, just independent books, indie books like Sex, you know, exclusively, you know, I would be shocked. Well, you know, I think that if I were reading independent books exclusively, I'm trying to think of what would what would bring me back. I would be a miserable motherfucker if I read. I, I would too. I wouldn't be having near as much fun. I think, I think books like Saga are a great deal of fun, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and it's creator owned, so you know we'll call it independent. Um, you know, Danger Club. Yeah. Um, does Superbia count? It's published by Boom. Uh, you know, I'll give it to you. Okay. Um, but I mean, there's but where's the a- fun? Those are all serious takes, and I know Superbia has some fun in there, but I mean. You know, you, you need some fun, and there's not a lot of just straight fun and independent works, and it's because it really doesn't survive. Well, and I challenge what Joe Casey says in in his article because he says, you know, there's really nothing creative going on over there, and and, and if it is, it is the you know, extreme exception to the rule. I totally disagree. I Agreed. think there are some amazing things going on in Batman, for instance. Mm-hmm. And yeah. look at Hawkeye. We we didn't yeah. talk about it this week, but this week's Hawkeye, yeah. damn great book. Yeah, yeah. There are when I think about the things that are going on that that are that kind of break the mold in the big two, you know, I think about Fearless Defenders. Mm-hmm. I think about you know, even though I, it didn't resonate with me, I think that the choices that Jason Aaron is making over on Thor: God of Thunder are pretty pretty amazing. You know, I think that uh, in a lot of respects. Marvel and DC are making some bold steps in reinterpreting their characters. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, Superior Spider-Man. You know, mm-hmm. none of us thought we'd like that. All of us thought it would be a gimmick, and we are we are continuing to see stories that do two things. One, they ping our nostalgia for the Spider-Man character, and they're telling new stories that we haven't seen. Yeah, yeah. or Jeff Johns' entire Green Lantern run. Yes. You know, I mean, I, I would throw that up against any. I, I mean. Any independent book as far as pure epic scale and a creator being able to tell his vision the way he wanted it. Yeah. You know? Yeah. So, you know, I a lot of that what Joe Casey says in his article here uh, really strikes me as sour grapes. You know, yeah. and, and isn't Joe Casey like, you know, one of the, the big writers on uh, Man of Action? Didn't he start that studio? I believe he did, yeah. Um, like Ben 10 and Generator yeah. Rex and – yeah, and then writing tons of episodes of Avengers uh, Earth's Mightiest Heroes. You know, so I, I, it also kind of sounds like he's talking out of both sides of his mouth because, you know, he's drawn a pretty big paycheck from Marvel Entertainment. Uh, yeah. So He used to write for Incredible Hulk. He wrote right. for Uncanny X-Men. He wrote probably one of my favorite runs of G.I. Joe. Yeah. And he's written Wildcats. I mean, the guy has written for the big two before, and he shouldn't. Don't bite the hand that feeds you because you're still probably getting paid from some of those books. Yeah, no, it just I got to tell you the the I would prefer somebody come in, talk about the work, talk about why you know uh, how he got there, and just let the work speak for itself. Promote your work, but don't promote it against other people's work. Don't say this is why my thing is better than the other thing. Just talk about why your thing is good. You know, because again, reading it on its merits, I loved sex. Yeah, I'll come out and say it. 
I love sex. Who doesn't? I love it too. <laughs> I thought the book Sex was fantastic. Oh yeah, that too. Where I got pissed off was reading what the writer had to say about other comics in general and about his readership. Yeah, agreed. So, Which is, uh, I guess I'm glad I didn't read the letters page. Well, and I gotta say, I won't be throwing any more money Joe Casey's way. Yeah, and I, I gotta will, say, you know, there are a lot of creators who, to a certain extent, creators are. I, I want creators to have their opinions. Absolutely, I want creators to have their opinions. You know, I don't want to shut any creators up. Don't insult your own audience. Yeah, though. exactly. I'm the guy who 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 bought your damn book. You know, I bought issues one and two through Comixology. I paid money for your book, and you're you're essentially insulting me. And I just think that's poor form. I think it's rude. You know, so you know, I won't be buying his book again. Well, that's a shame. I'll burn steal it, but I won't. I won't. Uh, you don't need to. Image sends it to us for free, so we're good. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So next week uh, we have Age of Ultron number six, which you know we'll see if we talk about that one. Well, um, are, Paul, are you buying it? I don't know. I don't know. I will look through it. Come on, Paul. Don't be a chump. I'm not going to buy it. Don't be a chump. Don't buy the book. You let Wayne buy that book. Ooh, and I'll ask him for his digital code. Fuck that guy. That's what I say. <laughs> um, if you have not jumped on, Avengers Premiere Volume 1 hardcover comes out next week. The uh, the Marvel Now, Jonathan Hickman, uh, first and I believe first and second arcs, first six issues there. Um, Captain America number six comes out. Seems like it's been a while since I. You know, it's strange because all the other Marvel Now books just seem like they're coming out, you know, that they're double shipping. Uh, and the Captain America book has just been, you know, monthly. Yeah, you know? just monthly. And so it, it seems like it's so slow. <laughs> Iron Man number eight comes out, which is uh, continuing the Iron Man in space storyline that Aaron and I are enjoying so much. Yeah. Nova number three. Uh-huh. Uh, Superior Spider-Man number eight comes out. Awesome. Uh, let's see. X-Men Legacy Volume 1, which is the uh, the Marvel Now X-Men Legacy book that none of us are reading, but may be good. I don't know. Probably not. You know, what I love is that all those X-Men books that uh, I don't pick up on a monthly basis eventually show up over in uh, Marvel Unlimited. <laughs> because I, uh, I tell you, for for a guy who you know, wants to read X-Men but can't keep up with all the fucking X-Men books, Marvel mm-hmm. Unlimited's a huge investment. No, that's a good point. Yeah, it'll save you money. I haven't spent a dime on Marvel sales on Mondays and Fridays on Comixology since I got my Marvel Unlimited subscription because uh, all those books are already there. Nice. Yeah, it's pretty sweet. Um, Paul Pope's Batman Year 100 uh, comes out in a new uh, trade paperback this coming week. Uh huh. Um, Justice League of America or Justice League of America's Vibe number three comes out. Aaron, are you on board with that one? Damn you, Paul. That means yes. Um, so is Justice League number 19. Nightwing 19 comes out. Supergirl 19. Um, let's see. Anything from anyone outside of the big two? Uh, Black Beetle number three from Dark Horse Comics. If you haven't been reading that, uh, Francesco Francavilla, uh, like pulp noir storyline. It's fantastic. Highly recommend it. Aaron, did I send you the first issue of that one? I thought I did. You did, and I was hoping you were going to forget that because I just realized that I have that sitting on my nightstand and never read it. going to ask me about it. Damn it. Yes. Damn it, Aaron. <laughs> I will read it before next week. Now, uh, Aaron also mentioned Danger Club. Danger Club number five finally comes out next week. Love Danger Club. Yeah, it's a fantastic book. Um, hmm. Anything uh, – if, if you're following Valiant, Bloodshot, and Exo Man of War come out next week. Who follows that shit? Stupid Wayne. Yeah, fuck that guy. 
And, uh, you know, plenty more that I haven't mentioned, but I'm sure we'll talk about a good number of those on the podcast next week. Very good. So, Paul. Yes, sir. Do you feel like we have educated the uh, the interwebs well enough on the subject of sex? Do you feel I, like they know how to go out and do what they need to do? I, I think so. And just remember what Paul says. If it's going to be three dicks, it might as well be seven. <laughs> <laughs> and on that note, <laughs> out. Podcast theme music graciously provided by Mark Andrew Pope. For more information, visit markandrewpope.com. Funny Books with Aaron and Polly is a production of ideologyofmadness.com. No Spider-Man clones were harmed in the production of this podcast.